Welcome, TWIM Nation. This is the Taffy edition of TWIM, which stands for Tiffany and Friends for You. And I am here tonight with my friend, Sarah Jorgensen. Sarah, say hi to everybody. Hello again. I'm happy to be here. Yes, we had Sarah on the podcast in July, and then she did a conference wrap-up with me and uh, was brave enough to come back the weekend of Thanksgiving. So, because you're not even at home, you're, you're, you're on the road for Thanksgiving. Where are you? I am at my parents' house in Orange County, California. So oh, so here, you've had you know, a... We had Thanksgiving outside on the patio in the 80 degree sunshine and, you know, we're really living the dream out here. (laughs) Oh, you're killing me. I know I was about to say you're having a wonderful Thanksgiving. I'm freezing my butt off, but I don't have snow. I did notice in in Utah today, at least in Northern Utah, that they did get snow today. So yes, count your money. We are just, there we go. We are just cold. (laughs) So... (laughs) Anyway, have you had a lovely Thanksgiving there in California? Yes, it's been so great. I have two grandparents that live here and it's been fun to reconnect and and my sister lives here with her family. So it's been really a lovely week. Oh, so you've had a good week of family and kids playing with cousins and enjoying beautiful weather. Yep, they're at a sleepover right now with all their cousins. So Pretty great. So does this does this mean when you get home you're going to have to like detox for a couple of days with your kids from all the fun? Yep, yep. Early bedtime, sleep in, <laughs> all that. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so exactly. Good. Well, you and I actually got to meet in person a couple of weeks ago. This was so fun. So for our viewers who don't recall, Sarah lives in the St. George area. And when we podcasted in July, we talked about Dutchman's down there and the Dutchman's cookies. And I ended up having to go to St. George a couple of weeks ago because I had an uncle that passed away in October and they were doing a memorial service for him down in St. George. And so I thought, well, I, first of all, have got to try these Dutchman's cookies. And second, I would love to meet Sarah. And so I sent you a text and I said, Sarah, I'm going to be in, what was the name of the city I was in? I don't even remember. Hurricane. I was in Hurricane. That's where I was. <laughs> Not Hurricane, no, just Hurricane. No, Hurricane. I was in Hurricane. And so I was like, Sarah, how far is the Dutchman's from Hurricane? I can't really tell from the map. And she's like, yeah, that's a hike. Sarah was <laughs> lovely enough to go get me some Dutchman cookies. And I met Sarah at her house. And you told me that you lived right next to the new Red Cliffs Temple. And she's not kidding. In fact, while she was finishing getting the cookies, I needed to get some steps in. And so my cousin and I, who had come down with me to the memorial service, went and walked around the Red Cliffs Temple. And it's gorgeous. And and here's what's so weird about it is the whole thing looks finished. In fact, you even told me it was finished, but they still have the construction fence around it. And I'm like, what is up with this? So why don't you explain to our listeners why it is that the Red Cliffs Temple is done, yet the construction fence is still up? Um, well, I mean, this is just rumored information because no one okay, really has enough. any like clear cut information from anyone that knows anything. But since the St. George Temple is having their open house right now, well, just finished, um, they didn't want anything to like interfere with that. So the Red Cliffs Temple's been sitting done or close to done for months. It's just been 
just there and there's no cars in the parking lot. There's not like nothing happening. So, but they announced the open house just barely, I think like a couple days after we met each other. Oh, okay. And so I think it's in February is the open house and in March okay. it will be dedicated. So I think they were just waiting to get the St. George one kind of finished. That was a big undertaking. And then they'll have the Red Cliffs Temple next. Awesome. Well, it was it was a gorgeous temple and it was a beautiful day when we were down there. It was about 55, 60 degrees. And uh, my cousin Jolene and I just thoroughly enjoyed walking around your neighborhood and and, uh, seeing the temple. But it was so weird to see this temple on a Saturday (laughs) with no cars in the parking lot. And it was just like, shouldn't this be open? (laughs) It's weird. We've been saying that, too, because we've been we haven't had a temple in St. George. The St. George one's been closed for almost four years, a little over wow. four years. And so it's like, we feel like, especially when we can see the temple outside of our kitchen window, like all day. I mean, like, I'm like, this is weird. There's temples everywhere, but none of them are open. Like I can't go to them, but like, they're all right there. <laughs> it's just like a lot. So <laughs> it's kind of funny. Well, and it literally would probably take you longer to drive to the temple and park your car than to just walk from your house. You're you're yep. in a great location. <laughs> that is going to be so awesome for you and your family. Yeah, we're really lucky. Well, now I have to return and report on the Dutchman's cookies that you that you oh, so I'm graciously so provided me. So <laughs> I just wanted one cookie and Sarah brought me six. <laughs> it was so amazing. So of course I, I, I first <laughs> there are lots of options. So I first started with the the infamous pink sugar cookie because that's how this whole debate started was where did the infamous pink sugar cookie came from come from? And I have to say, I wasn't super impressed with their sugar cookie. I consider myself a connoisseur of sugar cookies and I I liked it better the next day. Like after it sat for a day, the flavor mm-hmm. seemed, it seemed to have more flavor, but I just, I wasn't super impressed with it. I still kind of like chip and great harvest. I like their sugar cookies mm. a little bit better, Okay, okay. but you brought me one sugar cookie that you said was your favorite and it tasted like a um, snickerdoodle. Yeah. Uh, that sugar cookie was so good. That one I definitely loved. I just thought the pink one didn't have a ton of flavor to it, but I really did like the snickerdoodle tasting sugar cookie. I thought that was amazing. I thought the coconut, the coconut one was okay, but I'm not a huge fan of coconut. And then right. of course you brought me a regular sticker doodle, which was great. And then a couple of like kind of chocolatey chippy cookies that, that were really good too. So I would say if I went back and I were to get another Dutchman, Dutchman's cookie, I'm with you. I'm going to get the sugar cookie that kind of has the cinnamony taste to it yep. uh, that tastes like a snickerdoodle because that was really, really good and, and a bit unusual. One, right? <laughs> I've never had I've never had a sugar cookie like that before, and I really liked it. It was yummy. So Good. I'm so glad you liked it. That was so fun. Anyway, it was, it was, it was, it was really fun. So it was fun to meet up with you, fun to, it's been years since I've been to St. George. I think probably, I I think I was, I was thinking it's been about maybe 15 years since I've been in the St. George area. It's, it's been a while. So uh, it was, it was, it has changed a ton. (laughs) I wish that I'd had a little bit more time to explore but yep. we were kind of on a tight schedule because we drove down from Salt Lake that morning. We were there for the memorial service for, you know, probably about four hours visiting with family. And then we drove back to Salt Lake. So it was, it was a long day. 
Yeah, you guys are champions. That's an intense driving day. That's a lot of It was. But you know what? I was with my cousin Jolene, and she's like a sister to me. I mean, even though we're cousins, like she really is like a sister to me. And I don't think I have had that much uninterrupted time with her since we road tripped in college. So it was so so fun. fun. We just covered every topic imaginable and just had a really great time. So I I just, I ticked a lot of boxes on that trip. I loved it. Good, good. (laughs) That's perfect. I love it. All right. Well, should we do some news stories since that's why we're here tonight for This Week in Mormons? We should. I'm all in. Okay. All right. Well, since this is Thanksgiving week, I'm going to kick this off with a Thanksgiving story. And we're going to talk about Thanksgiving at the MTC. So I've noticed um, doing this week in Mormons for the last few years that it seems like every year on Thanksgiving, because these missionaries are away from home, and chances are this is probably the first significant holiday that these missionaries have ever been away from home, that they try and do really neat things in the MTC so these missionaries um, just aren't sitting around missing family. So the first thing that they did, and I've seen them do this in other years, is they have a member of the Quorum of the Twelve come and speak to them. And this year they had Elder Rasband come and speak to them. And I really liked his message. What he said is he started off his talk and he said, my thoughts today are about miracles. Miracles are divine acts, manifestations, and expressions of God's limitless power. You and every one of you here is a miracle. And he just goes on to talk about miracles for these missionaries. And um, he says to the to the missionaries, he says, you've witnessed more miracles than you realize. And he says, you know, I'm not talking about just like the big miracles that you read about when you are reading uh, stories about Christ and raising Lazarus from the dead. He said, um, the magnitude does not distinguish the miracle. Only that the miracle came from God, large or small. Believe me, in the mission field, you you will witness the miraculous hand of God in your service. Pray for it and look for it. And I just, I loved that message. That's a really, like, um, powerful, like, uh, empowering um, message of, like, God is in all of our lives. Do you know what I mean? So we have to kind of work to really see it, though, because, I don't know, it just makes it seem... Uh, more real. We had a, we were on, we drove here from St. George to Orange County and we always stop in um, Barstow for lunch. And we had just two weeks ago had to put our family dog down. She was like old and not doing Aww. very well. So my kids have been like, you know, a disaster. And um, there's always a lot of dogs in Barstow at the restaurants, you know, cause people are driving, you know, yeah. back and forth. And we saw like 10, like happy petable dogs at the lunch place. And my kids kept saying, this is a miracle. Look, this is so great. And I just felt like, no, that's it. That's a miracle. Like that's what we have to kind of count instead of like these giant things that are so seldom that if we're only looking for that, we're really missing all of the intervention that's happening along the way. So I think there's a lot of power in that message. I think there is too. And that his message really struck me because if for me personally, if I were to define the year 2023 in one word, the, the, the word that I would pick would be miracles. Because I, again, I've seen both big and small miracles in my life this year that if you had told me at the beginning of the year, some of the things I would experience this year, I would not have believed you. 
But just like what you said, once I started really looking for those miracles and being aware of those miracles, I saw them everywhere all the time. And just as you said, you know, the hand of God in my life on a daily basis. And and it's just amazing when you open your eyes to that, what you can see. And and Elder Rasband kind of talks about that. He talks about a trip that they did to the Holy Land uh, last year for his um, 50th wedding anniversary. So he and his wife took all of their kids, except for one daughter and her husband, who were mission presidents, and they went to the Holy Land. And he said that while he was there, he was praying that Heavenly Father would put someone in his path who he could help just as um, Christ uh, had had uh, had put people in Jesus's path. And so then he start, starts talking about some of the big and some of the small miracles that he witnessed while he was in the Holy Land. One even included a young man who had missed an earlier interaction with Elder Rasband, and that young man had prayed for an opportunity to meet him. And Elder Rasband got to meet him. And then he had a chance meeting with the Israeli ambassador to Vietnam, a country that he was going to, uh, he was scheduled to visit. And that chance meeting resulted in an opportunity for him to meet with the deputy prime minister of Vietnam during his later visit to that country. And, and I just liked how Elder Rasband just wove his daily activities where he saw those miracles into this story, because that's where I've seen the miracles in my life this year is really in the the daily activities. And, and there are some days where I just kind of sit in awe of, um, of just the miracles. You know, I, I had a day this week, I, I kind of call it a, a serendipity day. I, I just ran into a series of people in unexpected places all day long. You know, everywhere I went, I interacted and ran in with, ran into somebody. And I know that I had a specific purpose in running to, into every single person that I interacted with that day. In, and again, I had no intent of seeing or running into these people. It just happened. And so I, 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 like I said, I really, I loved Elder Rasband's message to the missionaries. It touched me. And then after he and he finished speaking, they had the missionaries do a service project, which they've had them do in the past. And what they did this year is they assembled 409,000 meals in connection with the hunger fight that will be distributed throughout Utah by the Utah Food Bank. And so it was founded in 2012. Hunger Fights is Fights Feed Feed the Backpack program provides weekend nutrition for elementary aged school children on the federal free and reduced meal plan. So the missionaries helped assemble these little backpacks that get sent home with kids who are already on free and reduced meals, meaning they've got some low income and their families probably have some food insecurity. And I thought, what a great way thing for the missionaries to be doing on Thanksgiving is to be doing the giving part back of, of Thanksgiving. And like I said, just a good way for the missionaries to um, not feel so lonely on their first major holiday. Yeah, yeah. I, I often think on holidays that those kids that are just leaving their parents or whatever for the first time. I'm like, oh yeah. my gosh, that's so hard. Are you okay? It's, so, it's just sad. I just think it could be sad, I guess. But it's cool that yes. the MPC and the church has given like all of these different um, opportunities for them to really focus on the purpose yeah. of their yeah. you know, experiences. So that's a neat thing. All right. Well, let's move on to our next story. This is a story that is in your neck of the woods. It is. The St. George Temple just finished its open house. Um, It ran for nine weeks. um, And they, 
I guess, counted all the people that came through. And there were 670,000 people that came through to tour the temple, which is wild when you consider that the population of Washington County is 200,000. So you all saw saw some serious visitors. (laughs) I mean, I went, we went the first weekend it was open with my little family and um, I felt like it was like pretty busy. Um, But then I went again with my little activity day girls and it was like, there were so many people. They said the highest day, um, the the busiest day with the most visitors was 35,000 people touring the temple um, on Saturday, November 4th. And that weekend they saw more than 45,000 people through the temple. And it, you know, just crazy. (laughs) So many people. It is so crazy. And I think that weekend might've been the weekend. I, I, I can't pull it up right now, but my sister who lives in California, the one that Ariane and I call the apostate sister, uh, Uh She, they, they made a, a trip from Southern California to St. George to see the temple open house. And I know it was on one of those Saturdays because she sent us a, te- a text message and they had reservations. And she said, I don't think they're checking reservations. And I said, they never check reservations. They're going to let you in regardless. And she right. said the lines were really, really long, but she loved it. She said it, the temple was absolutely gorgeous. It is so it's so beautiful. And I don't know why I felt so surprised, but there's so much color through the whole building. Like I was like the whole time, like, oh my gosh, there's like, I don't know. I just always think temples are going to be just like, like pristine and all white. But this one had just, I mean, so much different color, the paintings, the carpets, the, you know, the chairs were all these yeah. beautiful like tapestries. I just was like, oh my gosh, this is like a whole different. And it's clear that they kept a lot of the original like architecture and theme through the temple, but it's, it's just so beautiful. It was, it was really cool. I was, I was happy to take my kids so they could go through cause it's been closed forever. They, yeah, like we haven't ever gone through the temple with any of our kids. They're too young. So, but now that now two can go through, so do baptisms. They're well, so excited for it to like open and get going. And speaking of which, why don't you tell us about the dedication? Yeah. And it's great because they announced, the church announced that Jeffrey R. Holland is going to come and rededicate the temple, which is just great because I just felt like clearly he was not doing well for so long. And it just felt like sad to me to have anyone else do it because it's his, you know, it's his temple. We're his people and we're. I don't know, just like yeah, exactly for him, and he has such an affinity for Southern Utah that we just—I mean, of course, we would have been thrilled to have anyone come and dedicate it. But when they announced that, we felt like, oh, okay, he can travel, he can do this, and we're all doing that on December tenth. And my only complaint is that we'll have to miss one week of singing Christmas hymns in oh. sacrament meeting because it's canceled for the That's dedication, true. which is fine. That I mean, is I'll get over very it. true. But <laughs> hey, I can I can respect that because I love singing the Christmas hymns. And That's I will be favorite. really curious when I go to church this Sunday because technically it's not December yet, but it is the first Sunday after Thanksgiving. And I think it is legit to sing the, the Christmas hymns as soon as Thanksgiving is over with. So yeah. we'll see how legit my ward is if they actually sing the Christmas hymns this Sunday. But at the same time, Last week, we did sing a couple of Thanksgiving hymns, and I really like the Thanksgiving hymns, too. So if we had one more week of Thanksgiving hymns, I'd be okay with that. But if we're just Maybe doing regular do like music. 
Yeah, maybe they could do a split the difference where like the opening exactly. is Thanksgiving and then it like enters Christmas the halfway through yes. the meeting sometime and you just end there. <laughs> exactly. I like I said, I I can be okay with either Thanksgiving hymns or Christmas hymns, but if they go with just regular hymns this week, that that's I will be no. bitter about. Yeah. That's I, that's a cool. big no. <laughs> Exactly. I feel like all of Southern Utah is like missing one of the very best Sundays. I mean, for a great cause. I'm not like really mad, but yes, I feel like we are skipping something major for this. So can yeah. we sing a Christmas hymn in the dedication? What do we do? <laughs> How do exactly. we make this work? <laughs> exactly. Well, so. I was I was tickled when I saw that uh, Elder Holland, who I guess technically now we can call him President Holland again. Oh my gosh, you're right. Oh my gosh. Because he is now the acting president of the Quorum of the Twelve, which I knew him as President Holland because he was BYU's president when I was there. Right. It has mm-hmm. taken me years to break my elder president to break <laughs> my President Holland habit. And now I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to break my elder Holland habit. <laughs> maybe it'll be like easy to slip back into it. it maybe you. it will be. But I am, <laughs> I am happy that his health is, is greatly improved and that he yeah. will be in a position to be able to do that. So Yes, that's exactly how I felt too. Okay, let's move on to a story about the giving machines. So Ariane and I talked about this two weeks ago when we podcasted. The church had issued their list of 61 cities where the giving machines were going to be located. We editorialized that none of them were in Idaho and we were a little bitter about it. But I got some giving machine stories this week that make me feel not so bitter about not being in Idaho. So I'm going to cover the first one. You're going to cover the second one. So the first one, uh, one of the cities that is getting a giving machine is Kansas City. And this is not the first time that Kansas City has had a giving machine. They have had giving machines there before. And Kansas City just loves these giving machines. In fact, I believe last year when they had the giving machines to kick off the giving machines, they had, um, uh, I'm trying to remember, they had Tammy Reed, who is Coach Reed's of the Kansas, Kansas City Chief, his wife, and the owner of the Kansas City Chief Chiefs, um, a, a Talia, Talia, Talia Hunt was there. Well, this year they got an even bigger superstar. So Tammy Reed, the wife of Andy Reed, the coach of the, of the chiefs, she's coming back. The Reeds are obviously members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. She came back for the kickoff of the giving machine in Kansas city. But the key, here's the big get that they got Donna Kelsey. And if you don't know who Donna Kelsey is, folks, I can't help you. So, but I'll tell you just in case you don't know. Travis Kelsey is a receiver. I believe that's what his position is. I don't know. He's a football player for Kansas City. Whatever he does for them on the team, he's very, very, very good at it. His brother, Jason, plays for the Philadelphia Eagles. And so Travis plays in Kansas for Kansas City, and he is the current love interest of none other than Taylor Swift. So if you don't know that, you have been under a rock from for the last six weeks because it is it is in the news every single day. So Constant. Donna is the mother to these two NFL football players, 
And so her popularity has kind of gone through the roof. It was already very high when they played each other in the Super Bowl. But now that Travis is dating Taylor Swift, it is just kind of off the charts. And I'm seeing her get all sorts of opportunities. And one of the opportunities that the church asked is if she would come to their grand opening, their kickoff of the Kansas City uh uh, giving machine. She was in town for the game on Monday because on Monday the Eagles played the Chiefs. So she watched her two sons play and then she stuck around for an extra day because I believe it was Tuesday that they uh, did the grand opening or unveiling or ribbon cutting, whatever you want to call it, of the giving machine in Kansas City. So I uh, thought that was really, really great. There, the article also has a couple quotes by her son, Travis, talking about how neat the giving machine is and encouraging people in Kansas City to go to the machine and change some lives. Which then brings us to our next story, because you are going to tell us, a, this. I loved this story, a fascinating story about how the giving machine changed some lives in Africa. Yep. So, um, this story is they did they unveil the giving machines in 2019? Was that the first year they did it? I don't know. Anyway, I, I don't remember. People, I think it was longer ago than that. I think was they've it had them around ago? for a few years. Yeah. So, these women in Africa were um, given three baby chicks each. And um, there were 90 like, women that got three baby yes. chicks. 90 women got three baby chicks each in 2020, right before the pandemic. And um, I'm sure that they went through, you know, some process to get them, but the world shut down. And so the facilitator of that, um, like, situation, the the service, (laughs) yes, couldn't, like, get there to, like, monitor and help them. And they had to, like, leave the country. And so they were kind of on their own with these little chickens that they got. And they couldn't get back until 2022 in January. And the article talks about how she went. She came back to like kind of assess, you know what I mean? And see kind of where they needed to be. Uh And the women had turned those 270 because it was 90 women that got three chickens each. So they had 270 two-month-old chickens into 5,000 fully grown chickens. And the article is all about how... Um, these chickens have changed their lives and changed their status in their community and changed like the generational like wealth for their daughters and their families. And it was just such this, this crazy story. And then the church came back and said that they would be like, they wanted to hire these women as chicken suppliers for the new giving machines this year and they mm-hmm. bought 7000 chickens from these women you know who had kept their chicken business going and made they made 30000 $30, which i mean is crazy and they are rich women now they are respected women and everyone is coming to them for advice which is just cool to go from you know where they were to where you know this new space where they have respect yeah. and you know authority in their community and or in, you know, amongst the women in the, in their area. And I just think that's like a pretty rad story of how the church is really empowering people to change the trajectory of their lives. I loved it. They also said that the women in these villages, they never owned a single thing and they had to rely completely on their husbands. 
And these chickens were not given to their husbands. They made a very specific effort to give these chickens to the women. And they said that the women realized the value of these chickens, of having their own property. And not only the impact it would have on them, but the impact it would have on their daughters. Because they said a woman who has 10 chickens laying 10 eggs a day is able to sell the eggs and send her daughter to school. And how powerful is that, that your daughter who would never have gotten any education now has the opportunity to get education, which is then going to change that girl's life. So I don't know how much a chicken is in one of these vending machines. I can't imagine that it's very much money. And that little amount of money, it's it's like throwing a rock into a pond and just watching the ripple get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I loved that they did this follow-up story to to let yes. people know this is how the giving machines are changing people's lives. This is what we're doing and how we're improving society. We're improving humanity. We're improving the world. Are we fixing all the problems? No, but we're making right. a difference where we can. The quote that I loved is this particular program has actually brought about social a social transformation for communities, for families, and most importantly, for women and girls. And I just feel like, what more empowering, I mean, how much more empowering can we really be actually changing the social, you know, formation of their community? That's going to last for generations, whether or not the chickens are there for generations, the actual change in these women's thinking patterns, lives. I just think it's a really, I love that you can kind of see the after effects of these kinds of programs. I'm really happy they put out this article. Me too. I just, I got the warm and fuzzies when I read it. Right? I know. So I was like, oh, okay, here we go. That's so fun. Um, our next article, I just want to be sure that I'm on the right, uh, is about how the Church of Jesus Christ is making its meeting houses more water-wise. Um, they picked seven meeting houses in Utah, and they... Um, made a completely dry, drought tolerant water wise water wise and native plants uh, plan for their landscaping and they went in and they ripped everything out all of the grass everything out and made um, like a dry landscaped uh, church meeting house so they talked about how water conservation in the state is a critical issue for all of us and it's certainly something the church is concerned about. And um, they quoted uh, Bishop, how do you say his name? Kase? Kase, I think that's how it's Kose? pronounced. Okay. He said, Kose. Kose. I, I always like don't want to say it wrong because I yeah. want to be respectful of people, but I never really know. Um, he said, at the end of our mortal existence, the master will ask us to give an account for our sacred stewardship and how, including how we have cared for his creations. And I think that. It's, it's an interesting thing because sometimes it's uh, polarizing, like mm-hmm. taking care of our earth. And I'm not really, uh, maybe I'm not educated on all of the details of, you know what I mean, the sides of that. But I love that the church is saying we care about this earth. And so we're going to try and make plans to um, protect it. And, you know, for the future generations, um, it's kind of like a put your money where your mouth is kind of a situation because, you know, they're doing the work to really exactly. do it. It's, it's interesting because my husband is a water engineer in Southern Utah and that's always a hot topic for people. Oh, yeah. And it's like our temple, the Red Cliffs Temple right by my house is yeah. the last temple that will have a water fountain. 
out of all the new temples, they're not yes. doing any water on the thing. And I mean, on the like landscaping area. Yes. And it's interesting because we live in the desert. I'm like, we might have should have been the first one to not have one or, you know, <laughs> because it's, exactly. just, it's just interesting to see all of these things and try and figure out, you know, where the balance is. And that's what he talks about. We have to balance, you know, it has to be beautiful. We have to take care of our, you know, we have to put pride into yeah. our worship, but also we cannot just be wasteful. So I think exactly. that's a really important conversation in the world these days. Well, and when I recorded my last Taffy edition, which was about a month ago, I covered uh, Bishop Cosse and uh, this conference that he spoke at in Brazil, which was an environmental conference. And it Mm -hmm. just was fascinating because you don't hear the church speaking a lot on environmental issues. So I kind of did a little research afterwards just to kind of see, you know, hey, what is what what is going on? Because I loved what Bishop Cosse had said at this conference, as well as I can't remember which general authority he had with him. I want to say maybe he had Elder Christofferson with him, if I remember correctly. And um, and Bishop Cosse talked about these uh, six, five or six uh, priorities, conservation priorities that the presiding bishopric had, which again, I loved. But I found a really interesting talk by Elder Oaks. This was a talk that he gave at BYU-Hawaii, And he gave this February 24th, 2017. And the talk was entitled Push Back Against the World. And he is talking to the students and he said, these are challenging times filled with big worries, wars and rumors of wars, possible epidemics of infectious diseases, droughts, floods, and global warming. So he's saying that before the pandemic. This is (laughs) early 2017. Seacoast cities are concerned with the rising level of the ocean, which will bring ocean tides to their doorsteps or over the threshold. And then he says, global warming is also affecting agricultural agriculture and wildlife. And I'm like, do the ultra right wing members of the church know you just (laughs) said that? Anyway, and then he goes on to say, we are even challenged by the politics of conflict and the uncertainties sponsored by the aggressive new presidential administration in the world's most powerful nation. This was a month after President Trump was sworn in. And so I'm, you know, reading that 2017 talk now in the light of six years later was so fascinating to me. Anyway, but... I really do like seeing this focus that the church has on these environmental issues because I've always been a strong believer. Let's conserve our resources. Let's recycle. Let's do things that show our love for this beautiful planet that the Lord has created for us by not just wasting things. So I loved that. Yeah, I thought it was cool too. Okay, so our next article is one that it says, by the numbers, church programs for education and employment. And this was just kind of a little article that talked about some of the resources that the church has provided in terms of education and employment and self-reliance courses, and talked about that the church has 439 education projects, 342 classrooms built or repaired, more than 2 million students served, In employment, it has 9,186 Deseret Industry Associates served, and then it talks about nearly 200,000 counseling hours, uh, 4,000 recorded job placements. And I guess the reason I appreciated this article was because I recently attended a training at our local bishop's storehouse. I serve in a Relief Society presidency, and quarterly, our 
Bishop Storehouse offers these trainings. And so, you know, it was kind of one of those things that was on my to-do list uh, to do with my presidency. And I went there. I really had a very low threshold for what I thought this was going to be. Like, you know, I went there. as kind of like, okay, I got to do this. I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked because the first thing they got up and talked about was their counseling and the counselors that they have on staff there. Not, not volunteers, people with uh, with either master's degrees or PhDs and the counseling services that they provide and that the counseling is no cost. And they try and start a lot of people off in group counseling and see how that goes and then move on to individual counseling because they can serve more people in group counseling. They also talked about counseling that they do for pre-missionaries and just how successful that has been to help missionaries then go out in the field and transition and not have a lot of issues that result in them coming home and their success rate with that. Then they talked about employment and all their employment stuff. And then they talked about Deseret Industries and the skills and their goal of having people be there for a short time and move on. And then they talked about the Bishop's Storehouse. And this was the number that they threw out at the Bishop's Storehouse that just blew me away. 85% of the products in the Bishop's Storehouse. And they have everything from food to soap, toothpaste, deodorant, all of that kind of stuff. 85% of that is produced by the church. He held up a jar of peanut butter and he said, do you know we have peanut farms in Texas that produce this peanut butter? And I was like, I did not know we had peanut farms in Texas that produce this peanut butter. (laughs) I didn't know. (laughs) And the other thing that they talked about that was so fascinating to me was how focused they are on the quality of the food. They want the product that they are putting out there, whether it is going to saints who are using the Bishop's Storehouse or whether it is going to food banks or whether it is serving as disaster relief. They want this to be quality food. They have a test kitchen down in Salt Lake. So they'll, they'll, They'll trot over to their local Albertsons in Salt Lake. They'll buy, you know, three different kinds of spaghetti sauce. They'll bring them back to the test kitchen, like national brands of spaghetti sauce. And they will test those against the spaghetti sauce that they make to make sure that the quality is the same. And if their recipe needs to be tweaked to improve the quality, they will tweak their recipe. I had no idea. I was completely fascinated. So... That's, really That's cool. why I picked this article this week because I was like, oh, I know about that. I went to a training on it. <laughs> well, I feel like there's also like a greater call for like transparency in what the church offers um, the community, you know, at large, right? And yes. people want more information about what we're doing. And I think the articles like this are like really beneficial because you can't really put, I mean, you can put numbers on this, you know, but like, yeah, it, it just gets so big so fast. You kind of see like that we're doing a great good. And I think that articles like this really highlight that fact in a pretty, you know, clear, logical way. There's, you know, 342 classrooms being built or repaired like that. That's, that's like very easy to understand. Yeah. And I think that, um, I just really appreciate when they give real numbers because it helps um, kind of understand the scope uh, of our exactly. of our church. So I don't know. That's, that's how I feel. I, about it. I do. I I loved it I, again. Like I said, I think it's just like what you said. It's transparency and it's educational for all of us. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Do you want to move on to Elder Cook yep. and his concerns? Uh, he spoke yeah. to the young adults and what he told the young adults. 
Yes, which are applicable to all of us. I know, right? I was like, um, I'm not that young, but I feel like all of these help me too. (laughs) Um, It was a worldwide um, devotional and it was him and his wife and Elder Gilbert and his wife. So there are the four of them at the Marriott Center in Provo. Um, He talked about five big categories, facing life and faith questions, love and belonging, life planning and life balance, standing for truth and receiving personal revelation and prophetic guidance. And really, the whole thing was actually really beautiful. And like, I felt like it was very open, like everyone fit Mm -hmm. into it. You know what I mean? They they can find themselves in the words that he's saying, which I think is really valuable. Um, I loved the part in love and belonging when sister cook said, if I were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? And I, I, I just feel like, Oh my gosh, that's what I need to do. Like I need to like, like live what I believe more <laughs> because it just makes, you know, it realigns your, yeah your way of thinking. Um, they talked about belonging and how we all belong in, you know, we're all one family and, families work only well if we're all together and trying, you know, to fit each other in, you know what I mean? And work together to help us all come. Um, and I just, I just really, I just really appreciated the, the openness of it. And I feel like sometimes maybe as a young adult, you don't feel part all the way. At least that's what I have heard some of my friends say, you know, they're trying to figure it out. We're not quite there. You know, I don't know. There's a a transitional phase. And I just love that he was like, nope, we're all doing this together. Let's go. And, you know, I just, I appreciate the encouraging nature of the whole thing. I do too. I really liked what he said about life planning and life balancing issues. Uh, This was Elder Gilbert speaking. And he said that one day President Boyd K. Packer came to him and called and inquired about some church assignments that Elder Gilbert had and told Elder Gilbert, I'm giving you as an assignment to go on a weekly date night with your wife. So that was the first assignment he gave. The second assignment is he asked Elder Gilbert what time he was going to bed each night. And Elder Gilbert said, oh, you know, 1 or 2 a.m. And President Packard said, "Mm, no, I'm giving you an apostolic curfew. And he gave him a curfew. He didn't say what time the curfew was, but Elder Gilbert said, I have have strived to keep that ever since. (laughs) I love that. I also loved in the standing for truth section, Um, He talked about five ways to stand for truth. And the very first one I just loved is avoid overly contentious settings. Like just, you don't have to be there. And that's, that is the answer. And I I think that's like a little bit of like a gateway out. You know what I mean? Of that? Like, I don't need to be here. Okay, I'll leave. And then he talked about loving, loving others, finding common ground, hold to truth, be a light and stay anchored in Jesus Christ. I just, I really appreciated it. I felt like it was like really practical, like really helpful things that we can all implement into our daily lives. Agreed. Good advice for young adults and good advice for old adults. Yeah, (laughs) for real. I'm like, oh, I'll do all those things. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about Elder Ballard and a friend he made. Yes. That we didn't learn about this friend until after Elder Ballard's passing, but it's a very sweet story. It is a sweet story. This uh, woman um, was, I think, I'm trying to think, her name, I think, was Sarah, was it? Yes, it was Sarah Free. Okay. I was like, am I making that up? Is it my name? Yeah. No. Okay. Her name was Sarah. She was 20 she was, years old. 
was 20 years old and was hit by a drunk driver in the Logan Canyon, which is crazy. I've driven that canyon. I went to Utah State. So that is scary to be yes. in any kind of an accident in that canyon. And she was in the hospital and she had lost her legs in the accident. And he was visiting his son in the hospital and was kind of making some visits as, you know, around the hospital while he was there. And he just randomly, you know, popped in her room and they had a really sweet visit. And she said, and then I thought, you know, that was it. But then a week later, he called her mom and said, I'm just checking on Sarah. And it like had blossomed into this like darling friendship. They talked on the phone every day. They had scheduled lunches for years. And she says it was like a huge blessing in her life. And he sent her the message of keep your courage and hang in there. And that's so darling. I just feel like I love these like human stories because it's hard when the apostles are like, they have such big like scale jobs and big scale um, things that they oversee that it's like, I love hearing one-on-one work because that's the work that I do. So it's a way for me to connect, Connect. you know what I mean? With them like as a person. And I just, I loved it. And it was so darling for, I mean, the, 20 year old to have this, you know, best friend yeah. that's 90. And I just yeah. think it's such a sweet relationship and it's such a testament to the love he has for people near him, you know? Exactly. And, and I loved it too, because again, he's there to see his son and he's like, well, as long as I'm here, let me see who else I can minister to. And just like what Sarah said, he could have come in a room, spent a little bit of time with her, left after that. And, and that would have been a great experience for her. Right. It would have changed your life probably anyway. It would have changed your life anyway. <laughs> But he felt some sort of connection that he needed to maintain this contact, which even changed her life even further. And and again, I mean, these are not, you know, they're not pounding their drum every day saying, oh, look at me. This is what I did. They're right. just being disciples of Jesus Christ, much right. like what we do every day. We're just being disciples of Jesus Christ when we're trying to look around, see someone who needs some help and lift them up. So, right. It just makes me feel like I can connect with people. I don't know that I can change the world and make everyone believe in Jesus and do, you know what I mean? All of these huge things, right? But like, that's not my call. My call is to just be Christ-like in my day-to-day life. And this is a great example of that. Exactly. Okay. Our next story is a leadership change announced for Deseret Management Corporation. Uh, last time when I podcasted with Arianne, we talked about a talk that Keith B. McMullen, who was the CEO of Deseret Management Corporation, also known as the DMC, not the run DMC, just the DMC, <laughs> uh, that he was the CEO. And this was advice that he was giving to the college students at Enzyme College. Well, shortly after that, uh, that speech that he gave to these students at Enzyme College as a part of Career Week, uh, his career suddenly changed. Uh, and he, um, essentially the church, the church said, I, I mean, I don't know if the church said, okay, it's time to go. Or if he's like, you know, I've been doing this for a while now. It's time to move on because he's been in that position since April to, uh, 2012. So he's been there for okay. 11 years. He's 82 years old. He's done his time. Anyway, so they announced that he will be leaving 
And just for those who are interested to know what the DMC managed, it included Deseret News, KSL and its broadcasting partners under Bonneville International, Bonneville Communications, Deseret Book and Deseret Digital Media. And the article went in to talk, went on to talk about just the transformation in the last 11 years in all of those. You know, 11 years ago, Deseret News was still a daily newspaper that was published. It is no longer a daily newspaper that is published. It is primarily an online newspaper with a magazine that comes out once a month and, and just how they have shifted with the times. And the individual that they have tapped to replace him is a gentleman by the name of Jeff Simpson. Uh, who uh, oversees BYU Broadcasting. And it did indicate that Brother Simpson was going to likely continue to oversee BYU Broadcasting as well as become the new CEO for the Deseret Management Corporation. So congratulations to uh, Brother McMullen, who at one point in time was in the uh, presiding bishopric, so maybe we can even call him Bishop McMullen. Uh, Hopefully he can go enjoy some... Some retirement. Have like a little break. <laughs> Have a little Before break. Before the next Cause, thing. Because right. he did. I think he went straight from serving in that presiding bishopric to the CEO of Deseret oh Management gosh. Corporation. So yes, he, he well-deserved. He, he probably is well-deserved a break. Maybe he'll retire down to St. George and you'll see him in your neck of the woods. I hope so. Come on down. <laughs> All right. Our last story is, it's, it's, it's kind of a sad story. Uh, there is a church building that was located in Chevy Chase, Maryland, and it they had a fire here in this last week. And there were more than 100 firefighters from Washington, D.C. and Montgomery County, Maryland that responded to this fire. The fire broke through the roof area. There was some structural collapse. A couple of the firefighters were struck by falling debris in the interior as they were exiting the building. Uh, fortunately, they were not seriously injured, but it was a two-alarm fire. Uh, they say that they believe that it started in the meeting house attic. Uh, is They don't know what started it, but that's where it started. And so uh, there hasn't been any word yet what they're going to do with that building. You know, if it's, if it's repairable, if it is something that they are going to have to tear the whole building down. This kind of touched my heart because in the early 90s, uh, there was a... In the town that I grew up in, in Nampa, we had a stake center there that was probably built in the 40s. It had very 40-ish styling. It was the stake center that I grew up in. My, you know, it was several, op- several different opportunities. I w- attended wards that met in that building. Uh, my mother was involved in stake callings and a lot of drama productions. So I spent a lot of time in the cultural hall and on the stage of that building. I have vivid memories of every square inch of that building and they were re-roofing the building and the building caught on fire and the whole building had to be torn down. The church built a new building in that place, but I just don't feel the love that I felt for that stake center. So my, when I read this story, my heart went out to the saints who worshiped in that building in Chevy Chase, Maryland, because they probably have the same affinity for that building that I had. So, yeah, maybe it can be saved, though, because just a few years ago, my stake center in St. George was set on fire by an arsonist. It was closed for a whole year. I mean, they did a whole renovation. They did the whole it was the chapel and they were able to save it. So maybe I mean, and it was like a huge fire. It was crazy. Yeah. But so hopefully they'll be able to hopefully either, you know, save the building and do this, you know, 
repairs that are needed, but I don't know. That's hard. <laughs> it's also a fire. So it is hard. You know. <laughs> well, and the other thing too is, you know, then you've got, you know, they're obviously shuffling wards around and trying to figure out, yeah. you know, where are we going to move this ward, that ward. Um, because and it's not like you're, Utah where there's like a case or, you know, or I mean, a chapel. A building on by, every corner. You know, <laughs> right. Five exactly. There's buildings everywhere. Exactly. All right. Well, let's move on to Mormons behaving badly. I've got two updates for Mormons behaving badly. I don't have any new stories. I didn't have any new stories two weeks ago. So this is good. This means that the misbehaving Mormons (laughs) are not misbehaving. I just have past bad actors who are still bad acting. So first story is a Tim Tim Ballard update. Uh, Six of the accusers who filed the civil action against him came forward in a press conference and identified themselves. So this was a pretty big deal because they weren't specifically identified by name in the civil lawsuit. And there was lots of chatter about, you know, all sorts of stuff, you know, are they real? You know, are they making this up, this and that and whatnot, but they actually came forward and did a press conference and they called his behavior gaslighting on a global scale. So we now have names and faces to put together with the atrocities that I read in the uh, statements that were attached to the civil lawsuit. So again, I, I is very brave, very brave. And yeah. I will continue to follow this story because I am deeply invested in this Tim Ballard story. <laughs> if you have not heard my prior podcast, when I have it's broken true. down all things, Tim Ballard. I'm grateful so, for the work you're doing for all of us. Which brings me to my next individual <laughs> that I am deeply invested in, which would be Ammon Bundy. I nary a podcast goes by that I don't have some sort of Ammon Bundy update, but given this latest turn of events, I, the next, the next few times I podcast, I'm either going to have lots of updates or no updates. So let me set the story here. Ammon Bundy was scheduled on, let me look at my calendar here and I can tell you the exact date. So he was scheduled to be in court on Monday, November 13th. And he was scheduled to be in court for some contempt of court charges that the judge in his civil lawsuit against, or St. Luke's civil lawsuit against him, uh, had uh, had ordered a trial on these contempt charges. It was okay. originally supposed to be earlier in November, later October, but he whined to the judge about needing to get his, his uh, apple harvest done. So the judge <laughs> moved it out to November 13th. November 13th comes... Take a take a wild stab what Mr. Bundy did on November 13th. Just just take a guess. I'm just going to guess that he did not appear in court. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Sarah is the winner. Uh, <laughs> he, he couldn't be bothered. Of course not. He uh, sent both the judge and opposing counsel some sort of email the night before saying, yeah, I'm not coming to court. So here's what the judge did. So he was already out on bond on $10,000 on these contempt charges. So the judge forfeited his $10,000 bond. The judge set a new bond in the amount of $250,000 and said, orally on the record said, Mr. Bundy, I'm trying to give you your due process, but I can't give you your due process if you won't come to court. So I really need you to come to court. So I'm setting this for $250,000. If you are arrested on this and if you bond out and you don't show up in court again, it's going to go up exponentially higher every single time. And it might go up high enough next time to the point that 
you that that uh, you're not going to be able to bond out. And so that's what she did. He has not to date been arrested on the warrant. I okay. kind of have my theories about where he is and what he's doing. I don't know if he's hunkered <laughs> down at his house or if he's decided to vacate the state of Idaho. Not really sure. So I mean, there were a couple of lawyers that were scheduled to go to his house with an appraiser as part of the judgment that is against him uh, a couple weeks ago. And I, I didn't, I didn't per se hear if that actually happened. So <laughs> again, I will, I will provide you all with more interesting Ammon Bundy updates. I mean, wow. He's got a. All right, you know. Sarah, I've lost you on video. Are you still there on audio? Oh, dear. We have somehow or another lost Sarah in the middle of all of this. Well, the good thing is, listeners, is that we are nearly to the end of the show. So unfortunately, we are not going to be able to hear her favorite thing. But I will share with you all my favorite thing and then I'll close out the show. And just so sorry that we have missed Sarah, but you got the best part of Sarah tonight. So my favorite thing. I am doing or at least helping with the food for our ward Christmas party. And one of the things that we are doing is mac and cheese. So I've been working on some mac and cheese toppings. And one of my friends suggested to me the bacon bits that you get from Costco that come in the big bag. They're two or three pounds of bacon bits. Um, she said, you know, they're kind of grisly. She said, what you need to do is fry them up in a frying pan. And so I tried that the other night and I put it on the mac and cheese that I was test driving for our ward Christmas party. Oh my gosh. That is the only way to do the Costco bacon bits is put them in a frying pan. You don't even need to put any grease in them, fry them up, get them all sorts of crispy. I put them on my mac and cheese. They were absolutely delicious. So that is my favorite thing for this, this particular taffy edition is go to Costco, get yourself some bacon bits, fry them up in a pan and then put them on anything you, that you want. So Twim listeners, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Again, I'm sorry that we have seemingly lost Sarah. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions, you can reach us at contact at thisweekinmormons.com. Of course, we are on Facebook. We are on the Twitter, which is now known as the X. We are on Instagram. And any way you'd like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. We very much appreciate uh, your support and listening to this podcast. And we hope that you have a good holiday weekend. Thank you. Thank you.